Welcome to Come and See, your podcast for finding truth in a world of chaos. Brought to you by All for Jesus Living Waters Ministry. With host and founder, Richard Case, and co-host and retreat leader, Kathy Riccone. Today is our special guest day, where we will hear from a friend of the ministry who will share their insight and stories on truth in this chaotic world. And now your host, Richard Case. Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Guest Thursday, and we're in part two with uh, Casey Mulligan, uh, who's a professor. It's Dr. Casey Mulligan and uh, professor at the University of Chicago uh, in uh, economics. Um, you said that you basically spent your whole career there, right? How, long, how many years have you been there? Um, it's 30 years now. 32 uh, years, depending on how you count it. Yeah. So now you're uh, you're tenured, right? And they, uh, <laughs> um, that's kind of cool. And uh, I bet you've seen a lot of you know which we we don't need to spend any time on, but I bet you've seen a lot of interesting uh, cultural things over the thirty years in your students, you know, over over the years. So it must be uh, interesting. Are you teaching um, underclassmen or just graduate graduate students or PhD students? What 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 are your students? Both. Both. Now, the University of Chicago undergrad is very special. Um, typically on their way to grad school, they're amazing people. Um, you say, I think you, you said you saw me on Fox uh, and Friends in the morning. It wouldn't surprise me if one of my undergraduates prompted that. I mean, they're, they're very ambitious, uh, hardworking kids, and some of them are very interested in media and politics. Uh, so it's, it's a pleasure to to be able to interact with them. So as a professor, um, what range of classes do you teach? Do you go uh, from very pure, you know, one-on-one up to graduate level? What, what, or are you specialized in a certain things? Well, I've, I've, I have a class called the Economics of Socialism, which is an advanced class. Actually, just went to Israel and went to a kibbutz to kind of look at that. Um, but that, that I teach it as an advanced class, but I started to realize it could be a high school class. Uh, I, I could change it a small bit. It could be a high school class, but it's, it's fairly advanced. Um, I haven't really taught any introductory undergraduate classes in, in quite a while. Yeah. And, and you... Uh... Are there, is there any other specialty that you particularly are doing? I know you're in regulation, you do regulation. Anything else that you have? What done? we call public economics. So socialism would be kind of a, a sick version of public economics. Um, and I teach more ordinary public economics with regulation and taxes. Um, we also have, I have a textbook called Price Theory, which is more basic foundational, but it's the um, first class that we have for our graduate students. Yeah. Some of the undergrads might take it, but they would be advanced. And I know that um, uh, when you say taxes, because um, I've, I've had lots of discussions with you, is that um, it's really born out of uh, government policy. So, because you know, when we think taxes, we just think, well, you know, income tax, but there's all kinds of taxes that you, I know you study and you measure and you, 
The one thing that's always been, uh, for me, uh, uh, impressive, because uh, you helped me understand it and you, you've written about it, you, you actually can quantify it and predict it. And your predictions are pretty, pretty accurate um, in terms of the impact of, of what that's going to do to the economy and to you know people's uh, income. So uh, it's been uh, got to be fun to do that. Um, so as we as we look at uh, you know for us we talked last time about regulation and regulation is adding cost that pushes the growth rate of the GDP towards zero. Um, and you know, here we are in a, pl a place of higher interest rates and, and housing issues and uh, inflation. What what's your perspective on and predictability over the next you know one to two to three years of where you see the economy going and what's what's driving those things and what should we as believers at least have some understanding of or things that we can start to evaluate. Now, the stock market's not something I, I, I study. Um, I do, you know, have a retirement account and just like many of your listeners, uh, I'm invested in there, but it's not something I've tried to predict and maybe it's not so easy to predict. Uh, now, the economy in general is a lot more than the stock market. Most of the economy is people, um, labor, uh, and the capital would be a minority. And... Now, I'm very concerned about the regulation, but I am optimistic. I think last week we mentioned the, you know, and there was a wave in the 70s of way too much regulation and the people pushed back and, and we really kind of cleaned that up as a policy matter. I'm pretty sure that we'll see a wave like that, especially uh, the pandemic really brought out ordinary people who aren't politically engaged and opened their eyes, number one, to what was happening, um, more along regulations around the disease. But then once they're kind of upset about that, their eyes are open to, well, there's a lot of other problems that I want fixed in, in our government. So you have a lot of ordinary people involved in politics and right now. And so I think that's going to be a pressure toward rolling back some of these regulations. There's some of these regulations are just so ridiculous and so costly. Um, so I'm optimistic that those are going to come off. We do see some states who have moved in that direction, even internationally. We've seen uh, parts of Canada, Australia, they've, they've passed new laws that just put limits on what can be regulated. And so I, I see that pressure and, then, and that would suggest you know, a period of economic growth as we get some relief from regulation. Now, the longer term is, I think, more technology driven. And I think it's really, a, you know, I, I really emphasize the ordinary people. They have all, most of the wisdom. If for some reason technology evolves so that those people can't be involved, um, you know, we have a democracy, but it's not automatic. For, for centuries, we didn't have that. People weren't really given a voice in things. Um, really because of the military and other types of technology. So if the technology evolves to um, make government more powerful and the people less powerful, that would that would be uh, government would be able to do what it wants and that would not be good for the prosperity of ordinary people. And we were already seeing from some of the things they were doing, 
that they do have tools to really make a big dent in our prosperity. Um, and as you um, uh, as you do forecasting, just on recent you know conditions with inflation and interest rates, et cetera, um, what do you have any perspective at all on you know what do you see you know the next year or two of the economy? What is going to what's your what's your models or economic models showing is going to happen? And are there any particular things we should pay attention to? As we as we try to evaluate that, well, the um, we're coming out of the pandemic, which is a unique thing, maybe easier to forecast because it's large and unique. Um, and one of the problems is I call it a human capital problem. Um, throughout the whole age range, you had the younger kids. If they were in public school, they were out of school, not learning, so they're not going to have the knowledge and capabilities they would have had. Um, you know, younger adults were not at a workplace getting mentored by people like our age who have wisdom to pass along. So they're not having the capabilities they would have had. You see more at, at our age, people having health problems. There's always been health problems, but extraordinary amount of health problems. Um, life expectancy is, is, is down a lot. So and as I mentioned, people is the majority of the economy, the large majority of the economy, and the people are having a problem right now around that. And that's something that ought to recover, but it could take 30 years for that. And if it gets worse, um, that would be something. So that's that's a drag, drag on the economy. Um, the regulations that we see coming, because there is a process where they do give you some notification that regulations are coming, they're pretty crazy regulations, um, like requiring the cars to get 60 miles to the gallon. And that's going to decimate the automobile industry. Um, and there are follow-on effects from that. A lot of us use the automobile to get to work. Um, now, at first, it'll just be the new automobiles that will be prohibitively expensive, but that'll end up making used cars prohibitively expensive. And then so people will have trouble getting to work and that, that'll be, that'll affect all kinds of industries that aren't autos. So that's kind of a drag in that over, over a two-year time frame. Um, but again, I, beyond the two years, I'm confident that people are going to push back and say, no, this is too much. Let's roll it back. And then you get a period of growth coming out of stopping the madness. Is the um, uh, attached to that, like even when you think about automobiles and houses, uh, with the higher interest rates and then the cost of them, do you see that contributing to a potential recession or at least a, a negative uh, process here for a couple of years? Based on where everything is at, you know, today, what do you, what do you see is going to likely happen in the next year or two or three, and then, you know, what, what, uh, should, how should we view that? Yeah, that um, a lot of the, the 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 interest rate, um, Fed funds rate, those sort of the prime rate, those sort of rates. There's a lot of the economy that kind of runs regardless of that. But there are certainly parts of it 
um, housing um, and automobiles, just more durable goods because those are things that you would wanna finance. Um, it's really, I view it as those high interest rates as kind of a hidden tax um, because you, you know, interest rate when you're borrowing, that's a cost and a high interest rate means a high cost. On the other hand, if you're lending, it's, a, it's an income, right? <clears throat> and so that's why it kind of cuts both ways. But the problem is the government's in there levying a tax. So you have to pay tax on your interest. Um, and even the part of the interest you need just to make up for inflation, you have to pay a tax on that part. So it is really kind of a hidden tax. And, and it's through that mechanism that I think it depresses uh, some of these industries. And durable good industries also tend to be more volatile, things like construction. Um, so in fact, there was a, when I was in school, there was a paper published only a slight exaggeration that the housing cycle is the business cycle. And it, he was saying that, do you have a boom or a recession in the economy as a whole? It's all about whether you're having a boom or a recession in housing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's exaggerated, but there's a, there's a lot of truth to it. So these interest rate pressures and really hidden tax pressures on, on housing and autos also regulatory pressures on autos are gonna, um, that could show up in the aggregate economy pretty easily. With the um, you know, pandemic pushing the housing prices so high and the interest rates so high and automobiles, um, is that going to, you know, basically cause um, a, a real dip just because people then in the, let's say the middle class or the lower middle class can't afford it anymore and they stop engaging in that. Like you said, they choose, they can't even afford to buy an automobile and they go down to maybe one or they just keep the one they've got. Um, what impact is that gonna have in uh, the economy about uh, a potential dip because of, of not being able to afford these big ticket things? Yeah, you're kind of looking at it from the demand side, um, which is fine, but there's also supply side and they're more or less equal. So I think of from the supply side, people aren't as productive. So there's going to be less uh, for for everybody. Um, and But I don't want to double count that is all I'm saying. It's not like, okay, people are less productive. They work less. When they do work, they produce less. Um, and then on top of that, I want to add on the demand effect. I, I don't like to double count, but you can look at it either way and you get to the answer that, well, the economy will be smaller, our living standards will be less um, as a result of that. And when you, when you say uh, not double count, help us understand more exactly what you're saying, because I, I think you, you basically talked about demand and supply. We tend to look at one element of it. You're trying to look at, you're trying to look at the whole help us understand that better so we can uh, get a better perspective on that. So we have, let's take, we were mentioning that kind of young adults who they maybe had a job, but it was all on Zoom. They weren't really learning from those who had the wisdom. Um, so they're not going to be as capable. We saw the, I don't know if you guys followed the Bud Light uh, yeah. scenario. I mean, it was just poor decision-making that in a normal situation, 
you know, those managers would have been had some senior people overseeing that and say, no, don't do that. That's going to ruin our company. Um, so you have people that aren't good at their job, not necessarily through any fault of their own, but they didn't have the normal learning process. So they're less capable. They're creating less value. That's one side of the ledger. Now, what, they also are having less income and then they have less to spend. But that's just the, that's the other side of the ledger. Um, and they kind of have to be equal. The value you create needs to be kind of congruent with the amount of income you get. Maybe not individual by individual, but certainly in aggregate, they must be. Um, so you can look at it from either perspective that when a young person is not as capable in their work, they're going to earn less and spend less, or you can look at it that they're not going to produce as much. But either way, it's the same uh, amount in the same direction. Yeah. If they And if they go that direction, does that imply a shrinking, so to speak, of the economy? And I guess you would then, is that, is that technically what would be called a recession because it shrank? Yeah, they used to call negative growth a recession. Um, then they changed the definition when we had negative growth in 2022. Um, that's more or less how it works out. Now, there is another part we need to keep track of. I kind of describe things from kind of a per person basis, which is kind of how we think we have our family or a certain number of people in our family. Um, think of things on a per person basis, but they... There's also the number of people. So we could have all of us getting poorer on a per person basis, but the economy get bigger because we had people. And that, that, you know, it's not there be some baby boom. I'm not predicting one of those, but we do have a lot of immigration. Um, we're not really sure how much immigration. We know that it's a lot. We're not exactly sure. It's totally illegal. Um, so that could result in the GDP numbers being positive growing even though they're shrinking on a per person basis yeah okay Got it. Yeah. Uh, and then they would not officially call it a recession even though all of us have lower living standards there's more people and that makes the aggregate pie somewhat bigger even though everyone's getting a smaller slice um and as you uh you know look at that relative to debt um an article a couple articles about uh, you know, the credit card debt or personal debt is up uh, toward a trillion uh, dollars and the interest rates are causing, you know, stress on that. And then uh, there was a chart that said that with the amount of federal debt that uh, interest uh, over the next, you know, by the time five, six years, seven years from now, a lot of interest is going to go to pay uh, uh, what the... Uh, government income is going to be, and it's going to cause even more, even more debt. What's your, what's your view on, on where the debt is going and what impact that may have long-term on the, on us as an economy and then as us individually? I mean, the, the debt per se, government debt for many years has not been much of a problem. In fact, it commands a very low yield traditionally, which means that people really love to own it. So in that sense, it's been hard for me to criticize the government for issuing a security that people really like to buy. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of makes some sense. 
So that per se isn't a problem. Now, if it leads to higher interest rates, which it seems we're getting to a point because I think markets are concerned that this debt won't can't be paid back, at least in full. That leads to a problem, and then that's going to need require higher taxes. Taxes drag the economy, period. Um, and it can also, or maybe instead, especially if they don't deal with it with higher taxes, can lead to inflation, which is another kind of tax. Um, and those taxes are a drag on the economy. So I, I kind of see it going through, through taxes, either inflation, which we've already had, right, two years here of yep. inflation tax. Um, or more ordinary taxes or some combination of those. So is it, uh, is it potentially that it could drive us into you know, negative, negative growth or keep us in negative growth just because of that? You know, and, and, I, and again, the way you think of it, which is what you're helping us understand, is ultimately it's really the impact of the the uh, taxation rate that actually causes the gain or the or the shrinking of the of the economy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's uh, the also the way our economy is changing is kind of pointing in the direction of higher taxes. You know, as we're aging, as healthcare gets to be a bigger and bigger industry, which tend to be very government centered, um, that speaks to higher taxes, unless there's some kind of pushback from people, um, there would be higher tax and that means a smaller economy. Now, some people say it's worth it, but still that's a smaller economy that, and that's a recession. As you go from a bigger economy to a smaller one, that's a recession by, by definition. Yeah. And is there any, um, as you look at the, uh, let's say the trends of that, is it is it more likely that we will wind up in a recession uh, in the next you know one two three four years or are there other factors that would say that it's it's heading that way but there's other factors that will keep it you know stable? We will have one. We had one in 2022. We can use a different word. We can call it a elephant. But negative growth we're going to have um, basically because we've set up over the next two years we're set up for. Um, more or less zero growth. So it only takes some other factor. I mean, sometimes the other factor will push you from zero to positive, but uh, more or less half the time it'll push you from zero to negative. Yeah. And that, um, if you look at Europe, they have an even bigger problem because they don't have that immigration factor that, that we do, um, or population growth in general, population's not growing. Um, so they, very easily get into negative growth. The population is not adding to the growth. And then these various problems we've discussed, they, they have share a number of them um, and they that pushes them into negative growth. And is that where they can actually accelerate it and, and particularly the way you're looking at it, if the government says, well, we have to raise taxes to pay our stuff um, on, a, on a negative uh, place, it actually accelerates the negative, right? Oh, yes. That, that, and that's something that I think we saw around in 2008. Um, that's before we got into some of these heavy taxes and regulation, but the markets kind of saw it coming. Um, 
And then when they saw it coming, there was certainly a political lean to the, to the left and that made for more taxes and regulation and that we had slow growth. We had a negative growth in 2008 and then quite slow growth for at least four years after that, maybe five. So would you say that um, with all these factors, you know, there is at least a uh, certain probability or possibility that we could have negative growth in the next, you know, number of years, which would then ultimately, in your definition, um, even if it was flat, it could mean lower standard of living for us individually, even if it's flat or growing slightly, but um, so it could go negative, which would impact us for sure. And then the standard of living could, we could have a negative in, uh, standard of living based on what probably will happen in the next you know, two, three years. Yeah, I say that's a 50% chance of that. And then the, the thing that would go the other way is you recover from the madness. Some European countries have done this before. You look at Sweden, places like that, Denmark. Back in the 70s, they had gone pretty crazy with the government policy. And the people themselves said, oh, this sounded like a good idea at the time. It's not a stop. Um, and then they had quite a growth spurt when they ended the madness. So I don't know when that's going to happen here. I'm, I'm confident it will um, in a, let's say, a 10-year time frame. So you're, you're thinking that uh, someday we, uh, we wake up, right? And, and people say, okay, that's enough. And a lot of people are already woken up there. You saw it in the pandemic around the schooling. But now it's showing up more than school. And the people who got active to be pressure their school board are now, you know, active in other things. And I think that's quite a healthy force. But you can see I, I tend to be an optimist. So I um, try to, I tend to notice some of the positive signs. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, we can uh, talk about the negative for sure, but uh, there are always interesting reactions to that. And just like the, like you see, you brought up the Bud Light thing is that that was a little bit of a surprise of people's immediate reaction and the impact it's had uh, with, they begin to realize, oh, wait a minute, we got, we have some uh, influence here through our, what we buy, what we don't buy. You know? So that's kind of an interesting new thought. Uh, yeah, it has that social element, but at the root, it was just people don't know how to do their job. <laughs> That's something that could have happened years ago, but the managers were more savvy to be serve their customer. And then they end up with a poorly trained management who lost sight of that. And I don't mean to just poke on Budweiser. Or, there's lots of areas of the economy. You see people don't do things. They don't fix the car as well. There's like all kinds of things not done as well. My car mechanic died um, at a fairly young age. And He's got people taking over, but they don't have all the wisdom that he did. Yeah. And that, so this it's not just beer. I mean, it's, it's throughout, <laughs> throughout the sectors, there's a lack of wisdom and things aren't done as well and mistakes happen. It's interesting to me hearing you talk about that because as a former teacher, um, I've paid attention to the human capital cost in students' lives but it never really occurred to me what that looked like in the workforce until you just have discussed this all today, what that has done in the mentor. I see it in 
you know, little children and even working in children's ministry, seeing how it has impacted their growth and development and youth groups and just hearing the high school kids, their maturity level and different things that have, that have been a, a cost from those couple of years and just hearing you express the cost in the workforce is fascinating to me. It never occurred to me that that was a cost, to be honest. Yeah, and, and actually the schools were deteriorating before the pandemic, particularly public. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you went to public school or not. I spent some time at public school. That was a different public school. That was my, you know, my public school. The public school today or even five years ago was very different, very union-centered, um, not child-centered. And so I'm sure you're seeing, and I know we see it in, in college and employing younger people, they don't know what they used to do. Um, Are you, um, in your... Uh, research and, and influence. Are you are you going to be looking at what you just stated that uh, because of the lack of uh, training that there's going to be a consequence to that of these of the of these uh, business people not having the wisdom to make good decisions and making lousy decisions, which is going to have an impact. You know, economically. Are you doing any? Any study of that, um, setting things up to evaluate that over the next several years? Yeah, we uh, actually did one in March 2020. Uh, this was clear how this was going to play out. Um, and so I tried to quantify that. And I need to go back and revisit and update. Um, but it was very clear to me that, that it was going to be across the age spectrum. People, the human capital situation was going to be not not good. From the K through twelve to the college, to the young adults, to the older adults, they were all going to uh, be losing human capital, and that and that lasts a lifetime. So you're talking lower productivity, lower health, for the normal, the for you know sixty years. This is something we'll see for 60 years um, and it definitely matters. Most of the economy, like I said, is, is about the people. So if the people aren't doing well, the economy can't do well. There's right. really nothing that can come close to compensating for that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, when you uh, update that, uh, let me know. We'll like to have you come back. And um, uh, I think we're starting to get, this is very helpful for us to kind of frame it up better, quite frankly, um, and as you can, you know, help us understand the implications of that with your study, uh, we'd like to hear more about that um, and what the implications of that. And we, you know, there's not necessarily things that we can do about it other than, um, you know, in our businesses is work at training people, you know, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's an opportunity there for those of us willing to train, um, there's a big need. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, Casey, thank you so much for uh, your great wisdom and uh, helping us kind of get a picture of this in a way that we can understand it. And uh, it'll be interesting to, to play it out and uh, watch it, you know, to see which direction it goes and the implications of this, other than it is it is changing in our in what we talk about is that things are changing. We got to pay attention uh, and to you know, keep asking God about what does that mean for us as well mm -hmm. as the environment that we're in. And uh, one of the things that you just mentioned is 
one of the things we can do is with our with our own family and our own businesses is work harder at mentoring and, and helping transfer that wisdom uh, that will actually facilitate where we're involved with it. So that's that's a good admonition. So thank you for that. Well, it's his creation and he knows all about it. And if you ask, he will show you the parts that you can handle. That's been yeah. my experience. Yeah. You yeah. have to ask and and understand that you're there's only so much fire hose we can handle. And and, and he gives us what what we ask for to the extent we can handle it. Yeah. yeah. At least my experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Casey and uh, thank you for his wisdom and his work and helping us understand it. And uh, we just uh, appreciate that and look forward to more insight that he's going to be able to give us. And may you uh, give him favor in his uh, uh, studies, in his uh, projects, in his ability to communicate it. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for joining us, everyone. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for End Times Friday. Yep. See you, Casey. Thanks. Say hi to Linda. We Thank would you like for to joining us for today's episode sometime. of Come and See, well, we'll your podcast that. for truth in your a world of chaos. Brought uh, to you her. by All for uh, Jesus Living Waters Ministry. <laughs> Send us your questions and comments and tune in tomorrow for more answers to your personal questions about living life in God's truth. Remember, God's will is best and none better. His truth brings peace in this world of chaos.